This is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing well, Katie. I'm excited to get into our second episode of the show. Me too. Well, let's go ahead and get into it then. So uh, how about you introduce us to Season 1, Episode 3? Season 1, Episode 3 of The Office is entitled Healthcare. It aired originally on April 5th, 2005, directed by Ken Whittingham and written by Paul Lieberstein. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot summary here, Chad? Okay, so in this episode, Michael has been tasked by corporate and by Jan specifically to save Dunder Mifflin money by picking a cheaper healthcare plan for the Scranton branch employees. Of course, Michael being who he is and the way he is, he doesn't want to make the unpopular decision. He doesn't want to be the bad guy. So he decides to give Dwight the responsibility of choosing a new healthcare plan instead, which goes about as well as you would expect. The rest of the workday is filled with Dwight asking for confidential medical information, Jim and Pam creating fake diseases, and Michael trying to ease tensions with the promise of a, quote, big surprise that he has yet to figure out and eventually succumbs to the fact that he has no surprise at all. And so that's what happens in this episode. So let's get started with the the little character moments that we noticed throughout the, the episode. Just things that stand out that tell us about our characters. How about you start us off? Well, I think one of the first things I noticed was, yet again, I mean, we're on episode three here, and we're just seeing a ton still of power play between Jan and Michael. Um, she clearly thinks he's, he's an idiot. She talks over him, interrupts him. But of course, Michael's doing nothing to help his own case. Uh, I think he calls the office an orifice in their meeting. And just like, no one should talk to their superior that way, especially when your superior is someone who intimidates you, as Jan does Michael. So that's always a really fun and uncomfortable interaction to watch is, is their relationship. She's a lot less tolerant of Michael in this episode than she was previously when we see her in the pilot, she clearly thinks Michael's an idiot in that moment, but she doesn't really say anything back to him when, when Todd Packer calls or when he when Michael makes a joke about the waste paper basket being a special filing cabinet for things from corporate. She, she just sort of hangs her head and oh, this is Michael being Michael. This time she, she forces him to do his job. She's saying, I'm doing my job by giving you the information that you don't want to hear. Now it's your turn to do your job and give your employees information that they may not want to hear. Uh, so it's definitely her sort of stepping up to authority a little bit more. Not that she wasn't doing it so much before, but it's just like, okay, Michael, enough is enough. And it is time for you to do your job. Right. No more games, which seems to be all Michael does in the office every day. Right. And it's funny how this picking of the healthcare plan gives him this sort of false sense of responsibility for his employees. He has this talking head where he's talking about how he's providing for his employees. They're a family. And it's 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 as if he's paying them out of his own pocket is the way he makes it sound. And he even yeah. <laughs> goes so far as to call himself a doctor just because he's picking a healthcare plan, which is a specialist, an insane notion, right? A, a specialist. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so it's so Michael and it it's just him making a big deal out of nothing. It's really a simple assignment. I mean, Jan didn't even tell him to cut benefits. She just said, read the plans, pick the cheapest one that works for your employees. Like, that doesn't even have to be a big change. And he makes it so dramatic. Yeah, it's funny how he's so overwhelmed by the notion of picking this that he hands it off to, well, first he tries to hand it off to Jim. And Jim just straight up says, this doesn't sound like something I would 
do. <laughs> I'm going to focus on doing my actual job. He, he kind of at first half tries, I think, to come up with an excuse like, oh, this doesn't sound like something I'm going to be good at. Or, oh, I don't know, this sounds like something somebody else. No, he just says, I think this is kind of the task that I am going to do. <laughs> like He just kind of trails off and stops trying. <laughs> yeah, he, he he's just very extremely not interested. And so he pushes it off on Dwight. And Dwight talks about, I mean, it goes straight to Dwight's head. He is so power hungry at this point. We've seen him struggling over the, the title of assistant regional manager versus assistant to the regional manager. And clearly the second one is correct at this point in time. And he even has this conversation with Michael uh, here at the beginning where he says, do I get an office? He says, you can have the conference room, but it's not an office. It's a workspace. And uh, th there's this back and forth as far as that goes for a minute or so. And it's funny because Dwight gives this this little glance towards the camera uh, insinuating that, yeah, I'm not going to call at the office for the sake of Michael, but you, between you and me, audience, you, you and me, camera, you know, <laughs> this is my office. <laughs> that was something I was going to bring up as well, because I actually didn't catch that until this rewatch. I don't know. It was just a silence that I kind of glanced over until until this rewatch when I saw him give the camera that glance and that little side smile like, okay, we know what this is. Dwight is even asking you stuff like, can I fire people? Yeah. <laughs> it's not this episode. I think it's another episode where Jim says something to the effect of, this is the smallest amount of power that has ever gone to anybody's head. And even though that's not what he says in this episode, it's very much that same sort of thing happening with Dwight where he's picking a healthcare plan. Something he shouldn't be doing to begin with, but right. in the end, that's all he's doing is picking a healthcare plan. And any normal person would not let this go as far as Dwight does. And he reveals a lot about himself through this. He ends up just stripping everybody of all their benefits. He picks the, the very, very, very bare bones, cheapest plan out there. Nothing is covered. Everybody is, Oscar describes it as a pay cut, basically. Uh, just because there's going to be so few things actually covered in their healthcare plan. Which tells me that he values the company more than he values his coworkers. You know, he, he's like, oh, no, no, I, I, I saved the company a fortune when really he's costing his coworkers a fortune. I mean, he's just so, he's the company man, you know, and he just, he, he will do anything for the benefit of the company, even if that means screwing over his coworkers. And it even sort of shows his views on people and even sort of survival. He talks about how there's no healthcare in the wild. And his view of the wild apparently includes lions. Just every, anywhere you would consider the wild in Dwight's mind has lions and they're going to eat people. It's Africa. It's deep Africa. <laughs> right. And he calls himself the lion. So does does that insinuate that he's the one hunting people? Is he out there to to eat people, to kill people? It, it's just a, a strange comparison. I think Dwight is just trying to make himself the alpha of the situation, no matter what it's going to be. And he doesn't really think through that analogy. And then I believe there's a deleted scene where Dwight, um, he's talking about how it's normal that his coworkers would be jealous of him in this situation and that how he's been promoted and... It's understandable that there's going to be some jealousy in the office, and he's okay with that. Yeah. Dwight, at this point, the job is the most important thing to him, uh, to the, the detriment of everything else, I suppose. He, he doesn't really care about anything else except his job. Now, Jim, we find out just how little he cares about his job. 
earlier in the in the pilot episode, he talks about how he was just boring himself talking about his responsibilities at the company. But in this episode, he goes so far to say that he doesn't plan on being here long and that if this was his career in the long term, he would throw himself in front of a train, <laughs> which is funny looking forward because we know there's still after the season eight more seasons in which Jim is right. is there the whole time. So that's not a big spoiler. It's just he's on the cast list. So sure enough. <laughs> right. I mean, it makes you wonder where his character is going to go for the whole rest of the show. If he is thinking this way about his job now, what's he going to be thinking two seasons from now and two seasons later for them that. So it's an interesting contrast between Jim and Dwight in how they look at their jobs. When they hold the same job. Yeah. One other character I have to talk about is Angela. I just want to mention her uh, briefly because there's a scene where she's talking to Oscar after Oscar has tried to confront Michael about these healthcare plans. And she says, you let him walk all over you like she almost expected more from him. And then here comes Kevin lumbering behind them. And he's asking, what are you talking about? And he, she keeps him out of the conversation. Nothing, Kevin. It's funny because in that moment, it's almost like she and Oscar are the parents and Kevin's the nosy kid. Or at least that's sort of the, the vibe I that got from the situation. Don't worry about it. This is between dad and I. <laughs> and there, there was uh, one other moment, I think, before that, when they were talking about how they were going to get a hold of Michael because he's been locking himself in his office all day. He's saying he's so, so, so busy. And Kevin says he's going to have to come out at some point, you know, to use the bathroom. And it really shows his maturity level that he thinks that just the notion of going to the bathroom, the idea of going to the bathroom is so funny to him. And he's just sort of snickers and Angela shuts him down. That is inappropriate, Kevin. And that, that's it. <laughs> when he could have just said it and it probably would have been fine. You know, oh, well, you know, he's got to come out at some point. You know, he's got to go to the bathroom. He's got to eat lunch. He's got to do something. But the way he like looks at the camera and chuckles is just so immature. <laughs> Returning to Michael for just a second, let's talk about his big surprise, which oh, is it, it's one of the cringiest things I think Michael does, at least in this whole season, because he comes up with this awful idea among awful ideas to promise a big surprise without knowing what it's going to be, because he thinks that his employees will be more excited about the promise of a surprise than they'll be concerned about anything else. And he's, it shows how ignorant he is to the needs and the wants of his employees and is so concerned instead with self image. He wants to be loved. Uh, he even has a talking head where he's talking about how he, he wants his employees to love him. And he's so confident in his abilities to figure out a plan. He knows that by the end of the day, he'll have a plan. And that's not the point right now. The point is to distract them and, and they'll be happy if, if I tell them I have a plan. I'll figure out the plan. Of course, he doesn't figure out the plan. And I think that's the, the very last scene of the episode is where Angela asks, well, what about the big surprise? He goes, oh, thank you, Angela. I'm so glad you asked. The big surprise <laughs> is, drum roll, please. And they stand there in silence. <laughs> right. He, he does this big dramatic drum roll trying to cover time <laughs> for him to think of uh, an answer. <laughs> Maybe he'll think of something in the last second. But I actually read somewhere that that pause was originally like two and a half minutes, somewhere between two and three minutes. And the cameras just kept rolling and they just kind of watched Steve Carell sweat it out. And everyone just kind of shifted their weight and eventually left because... <laughs> He wasn't going to come up with anything. And oh, so painful. Even just acting that probably was just so uncomfortable. 
And possibly the worst thing about the big surprise for me is that he had a chance to get out of it when he shows up with the ice cream. <laughs> Stanley says, I hope this isn't the big surprise. And Michael could have just owned up to it and said, yes, this was a big surprise and just let it be a disappointing big surprise, but a big surprise nonetheless, where he didn't have to come up with another one. But he doesn't do that. And Stanley was smiling. He was smiling when he took his ice cream sandwich. <laughs> it was a good thing. It's ice cream. Enjoy it. You know, <laughs> We don't get this every day. But instead, he digs that hole just a little bit deeper and starts putting some on top of him while he's at it and says, no, th this is surprising, but it's not the surprise that's coming later. And th that's the moment when he is just standing there clueless and has no idea what to come up with. And he goes, of course, to the travel agent and talks about this all expense paid, you know, charter bus to a casino where they'll give you a pile of chips to play with and everything's paid for right and, and everything's paid for that's the important part he's he's emphasizing <laughs> to this travel agent that this is all free because apparently at some point in the past this had happened maybe when he was an employee and not a boss and he just he only saw it from the side of this is free and i'm not having to pay for anything so he assumed that it was just free it's all free <laughs> right and he's like i don't know anything about that i've never heard of this but you could call the casinos directly and of course michael has already made a fool of himself with this conversation once before with these casinos <laughs> now with michael going on to sort of our funny moments this episode and even in the next episode i was sort of struggling to find really funny moments because even though later in the show i do think michael is really really funny here we're just sort of we're still getting a taste of him we still don't know exactly who he is and what his relationship with these people is and so a lot of his stuff is very sort of cringeworthy but just a couple of funny things for me uh, one was when he was talking to Pam from inside his office on the phone and he lies about getting a call. And the that thing about receptionists is they know when somebody is getting a call or not. <laughs> you see Pam's eyes dart to her phone. No, you're not getting a call. And then he does it again. He does it again. That's, that's so <laughs> oh, funny. Oh, here we go. I got another one. Nope. Nope. Still nothing. When he could have lied as well and said, oh, no, it's on my cell phone. That's always what gets me. He could he could say, oh, it's it's on my cell. But. No, it's he says the office phone. Another funny moment for him uh, was when he was talking to the guy at the coal mine, assuming it was sort of a pseudo amusement park, you know, this 300 foot drop and maybe laser tag at the bottom, all that kind of stuff. And he's, the guy's talking to is, no, it's an industrial coal mine. You're it's a historical landmark, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's a funny scene. And then one more for me, for Michael, at least, is uh, when he's talking about his love for improv. It's funny because he, he shows in this episode how poor he is at improv, but he's he's talking about how great it is and how he's so smart about it. And he says he'd love to go head to head with Robin Williams. <laughs> As if he could take on Robin Williams. Yeah. And then the funniest part about that is that the Robin Williams he references is Mork and Mindy, which is a TV <laughs> show from like the 70s. Nobody knows about it now. When people think Robin Williams, they think Aladdin, they think Goodwill Hunting, they think any countless other number of things aside from Mork and Mindy. It's definitely his like first big thing, yeah. Yeah, Michael Scott goes back to this obscure 1970s TV show when Robin Williams was still an unknown. It's just weird. <laughs> Typical Michael. What about for you? I had a lot of the same stuff, actually. Um, in that same phone call between Michael and Pam, I think one of the funniest moments is when they first start talking, it's, oh, I'm so busy, so, so busy. And he's playing with a toy Dunder Mifflin truck <laughs> on his right. desk. <laughs> yeah, and we, we see that through the blinds, thanks to the documentary cameras. 
he's he's closed all the blinds, but they found a crack and they're watching him just wheel this little truck across his desk because he's so busy. Of course, we've got to mention some of the uh, fake illnesses submitted to Dwight on the proposed uh, health care plan sheet. I think we've got mad cow disease. We've got Ebola, which, you know, nowadays, I guess they were kind of foreshadowing. Of course, we've got spontaneous dental hydroplosion, which is the one that Jim and Pam come up with, which is when your teeth melt and drip down the back of your throat. That's my favorite one because... That's my favorite one. <laughs> because Jim just improvises it so naturally and so quickly. He's the true master of improv in this episode because Pam says, you know, what is it called when, when my teeth melt? They drip down the back of my throat. And he just goes, oh, I thought you said we were making these up. And he just has a name for it right off the bat. That's it's, obviously this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's so funny uh, and so natural. I believe when Dwight read off hot dog fingers <laughs> and the camera pans over <laughs> to the accountants, I believe that was a break. I think the actors broke and it was just such a funny clip that they put it in. Possibly because I, I actually wrote that down. Um, when, when he's reading out that fake medical info, we get laughs from both Angela and Stanley. Right. Two characters that I really wouldn't have expected them to laugh at something like that this early in the show. And another breaking moment I think I had, I have no evidence of this, but it's just kind of a gut feeling. When Michael is exiting the office, I guess, to go to the uh, travel agent, and he's exiting the office and he's laughing and he misses the doorknob. And he says, I couldn't find the knob. I think that was probably Steve Carell. <laughs> probably. But it was just such a fun, pure moment for Michael because I, I don't know, just one of those, like I said before, I, I, I like to try to find where they break just because it's so much fun for me to guess when it's the actor and when it's the character. But I agree with you. I kind of had a hard time picking out, I mean, truly, not not truly funny moments, but just the office funny moments, because this was just all so cringy. Yeah, I think the funniest moments from this episode in particular came from Jim and Dwight, whether it was their office versus workspace debate. Uh, Dwight says, just knock, please, as a sign of respect for your superior. <laughs> Jim says, you are not my superior. And throughout the rest of the episode, uh, like there, there's a moment when Dwight asks everyone to list their diseases. He says he'll be in his office and Jim shouts, workspace. <laughs> and, and Dwight just shoots him a look. Right. He just shoots him a look as he closes the door. And then uh, <laughs> later after Jim has stolen Dwight's keys and locked him in the conference room, Dwight is looking out the window. Michael has shown up and brought everybody ice cream. And Jim just tosses Dwight an ice cream sandwich <laughs> at the window. Catch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Dwight has his classic line in this episode, through concentration, I can raise and lower my cholesterol at will. Well, why would you need to raise your cholesterol? <laughs> so that I can lower it. <laughs> of course. Which made me always wonder, you know, how did he figure that out? And can he actually? <laughs> that does make me wonder. Dwight is <laughs> intense enough that I, I almost believe it. <laughs> I'm sure he could raise it anyway. <laughs> and one more Dwight moment. He says, uh, you see him getting angry from behind the, the glass in the conference room. And he runs out and he's holding the fake diseases in his hand. He says, who did this? I'm not mad. I just want to know so that I can punish them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not mad. You're not going to get in trouble, but you're going to get in trouble. Dwight in this episode reminds me of, you and I were both in, you know, choir or band, I assume, all throughout grade school. And it's like in middle school when you're an eighth grader and that person gets elected choir president or choir secretary and they just take that as the most responsibility in the whole world. And they're going to just run this choir to the moon. And it's just like, calm down. This is not 
that much responsibility and Dwight just takes this and runs with it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty apt comparison. Just a student who maybe is sort of the teacher's pet who finally gets a little bit of a victory for all their sucking up or all their brown nosing and just sort of rubs it into everybody else's face. Right. The student council situation. And then one other funny moment I had at least was after Jim has locked Dwight in his workspace and he calls Jim, Jim puts him on hold when Pam calls just from 10 feet away from her front desk. And they're having this casual conversation as Dwight is pacing in the background and he's still on hold. He's still holding the phone in his hand and he's got the the receiver up to his ear um, in the background as as if Jim's ever going to go back to that conversation. And he's watching them talk. <laughs> right. And as if Jim couldn't hear him in the first place, just from the other side of the room. Right. Tapping on the glass. <laughs> Any other funny moments? You know what? There was that one where Dwight is reading out the list of diseases and they at this point have to claim responsibility for the diseases on the list. And Dwight goes, oh, who, who wrote this hysterical one? Anal fissures. <laughs> and the camera pans out and nobody says anything. And Kevin looks down and goes, that's a real thing. And Dwight goes, yeah, but no one here has it. And Kevin looks at the camera and goes, well, someone has it. And the camera just pans out again. <laughs> yeah, and his voice breaks a little bit. It's it's so sad. Poor Kevin. <laughs> He's like, uh, it's not me, but someone has it. <laughs> and there's that uncomfortable moment of silence where everybody's looking at him because they realize, and Dwight <laughs> is understanding, oh, well, oops. Okay. <laughs> he just tries to move <laughs> Call on. <him> out. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is one of the more cringy episodes. Yeah, and we don't get a commentary for this one, but we do have our deleted scenes, and I wrote down just a few. Do you have anything from those that you wanted to note? I do have a couple. I think one of my favorite ones is when Jim and Pam are digging through Dwight's trash, and they find the whole list of alternate office workspace titles. So it was like Shroot Space, I think was <laughs> that, that was the one, one that stuck in my head. Um, I can't remember the others. There, there was one like uh, Shroot's Privates or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all in different fonts. And he had clearly taken a lot of effort into picking the right sign for his door. I guess I left, left this next one out because it was too similar to what Michael and Pam talked about in what was included in the episode. But there's the deleted scene where Oscar goes to Michael's office to talk, and Michael says he's way too busy to answer the door. He can't even answer the door. He's so busy, but he's just lounging in his chair looking out the window. <laughs> like He's clearly just avoiding his one task for the day. <laughs> what did you have? I liked the scene where Jim was telling Dwight that being diagnosed with Ebola could be possible, and they, they both have these references to movies. And then Jim says something. He says, have you ever seen Sixth Sense? What if you're already dead? And the funniest part is Dwight actually considers it for a moment before he, he says, <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> unlikely. Not impossible. And then there's another scene where Dwight is collecting the disease forms and he's trying to remember the order. He's, he's very clearly trying to memorize the order in which people gave them their forms so he can remember and identify which people wrote down which things. And then when he gets to the end of it, he's at accounting and Oscar just hands him a stack of the rest of them. And you can see how clearly upset he is. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. I wish they had left that in. That was a good one. And then there was one that I actually do wish they kind of left this one in as well. When Dwight is questioning Pam, you know, he's interviewing people um, in the conference room trying to figure out who who wrote down false things. And so he's questioning Pam in this deleted scene. And he insists that 
she and Roy have probably set a date for their wedding and that she'll probably use his healthcare plan. And so she wouldn't take the Dunder Mifflin one seriously because of that. So she she's clearly the one who wrote down false stuff because of this train of thought that he's having. And what's sad about it is you can see how she's clearly upset by this and she storms out and Jim actually looks concerned at the moment. And I, I just wish that they'd shown... I, I think it's a an interesting look into more of the Pam and Roy dynamic because right. this is the the third episode. We've already established that they've been been engaged for 3 years. There's still no wedding date in sight and Dwight is here just drilling at home. That scene kind of um shows us that it's a really touchy subject for Pam that there's not been a date set. Yeah, so in in some respects I do wish they had included it, but I also think it makes Dwight look just a little bit mean. So either way, it, it doesn't matter too much that they left it out. Uh, but then resulting from that, Jim actually goes in and defends Pam. And he goes in and I won't use his exact language, but he basically calls Dwight a jerk. So, yeah, it gave that look into the Pam-Roy relationship and then gave Jim a chance to sort of be a minor hero, I suppose. Then the last thing I have written down as far as the deleted scenes go is Michael actually did come up with an idea for the big surprise but it's after everybody has left. Like his mind is slowed to the crawl to the point that he hasn't even paid attention to everybody leaving around him. And all of a sudden he comes up with an idea and he's back in the, the moment, but everybody's gone. And he says, we're all going bowling, <laughs> but everybody's gone <laughs> at that point. It's too late. <laughs> They've already lost their faith in him. Now you have our discussion topic. So what what is our discussion topic for this episode? I do. So we touched on it a bit at the beginning of this discussion, but I want to delve into why we think Michael is so hesitant to pick a plan. Why doesn't he just do this one task? It's not that big of a deal. It's part of his job. Why do you think he doesn't want to do it? I think that Michael doesn't like to upset people. I think Michael likes to be the good guy. He likes to be the nice boss. He likes to be world's <laughs> best boss, as his coffee mug says. And so anything that makes his employees look at him any way differently than as world's best boss, he doesn't want to do. And so I think that's a part of it for sure. I agree totally. I mean, he wants to be the perfect boss. He wants to never, ever give bad news. He doesn't want to get rid of anybody except for maybe Toby. He doesn't want to give anybody bad news ever. He wants to be their best friend, which is just not his job. I think he just has a compulsion to be liked. He has to be liked. And it's kind of sad, I think, which is kind of what drew me to this question. He's just so desperate. I mean, and ultimately, it made him less liked, I think, by not just doing his job and picking a plan and being responsible. Instead, he put this on Dwight, which was probably going to be a worse decision for his office. And he lied to everyone all day and said he was so busy and couldn't talk and tried to make up for it by picking a surprise to cheer up his coworkers, which... um didn't work either. And he just kind of made one bad choice after another, which if he had just done his job, he wouldn't have had to disappoint them with not picking a surprise. It was just all kind of a snowball effect of disappointments and not not being responsible, which is why it's so sad. I mean, he he really, really has to be liked. And every decision he seems to make makes people like him less. He has a talking head at the beginning of the episode where he's talking about how if Dwight succeeds, then he's the one who gave him a second chance and good for him. And if Dwight fails, well, that's Dwight's fault, not mine. And that's just completely the opposite way being a boss works. How your office runs is is due to you, you know? 
yeah, I think that answers it pretty well. And there was one other note that I just found um, that I just wanted to mention. I think Michael wants to imitate the things that make him laugh. So he references whose line is it anyway in this episode. He references uh, Robin Williams. He references all these kind of things. And even going back to the Chris Rock interpretation he did back in Diversity Day, he likes to imitate the things that make him laugh, but he's just not as good as those things that make him laugh, unfortunately. So yeah, that was just an observation is that Michael, he imitates things. He He's not wholly original and the things he imitates, he's not very good at. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and go into our discussion on the next episode. This is episode four of season one, The Alliance. It aired on April 12th of 2005, was directed by Brian Gordon and written by Michael Schur. So what was this episode about, Katie? So the Alliance starts out with the realization that downsizing rumors have not stopped at Dunder Mifflin since the pilot, uh, which is when we originally learned about the downsizing rumors. Dwight decides to team up with Jim in the form of an alliance. Uh, Jim, of course, sees this as a gift-wrapped opportunity to mess with Dwight and tells Pam immediately, of course. Meanwhile, Michael decides to throw a surprise party for the next person celebrating a birthday in the office. He asks Pam to compile a list of birthdays and will surprise the next one. However, that's Meredith, but her birthday is a month away. Michael being Michael decides to throw the party anyway. He stresses over the perfect greeting card message for Meredith, which is so bad and ultimately kills the party. During the party, however, in an attempt to convey his excitement to Pam about his pranking Dwight through this alliance, Jim grabs Pam's hand right as Roy walks through the door. And Jim tries explaining this to Roy that he was only messing with Dwight and it was all a prank, but Dwight refused to uh, acknowledge the existence of their alliance. So let's get into some of these character interactions. Uh, what are some of the ones that drew your attention? First, Dwight seems to have changed his mind regarding his concerns of downsizing. Earlier, he expressed he was not worried at all. He's been recommending this since his interview. He thinks it's a good idea to get rid of people. But at the start of this episode, we see him waiting out. He's waiting on Michael outside the restroom. He scares him as he's coming out. And he's asking about his safety regarding downsizing. So what do you think has caused him to be scared? Do you think maybe calling Jan's cell phone directly in the last episode <laughs> made him cautious? You know, I had had that same thought, actually. It was the, um, I think the big one was really the don't ever call my cell phone again. And she hangs up on him. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize this was your cell phone. I thought it was your office phone. And um, he realizes that he's kind of peeved her off. So that was kind of my first thought, too, actually, was that he might have irritated Jan, and now he's got to watch his tracks. Yeah, and I mean, I guess we didn't see Michael turn over any sort of healthcare plan to Jan, so he may be worried about fallout from the healthcare decision since the responsibility was given to Dwight, even though it's not his fault that the responsibility was given to him. It is his fault that he did such a poor job, so maybe he's just worried about some of that fallout. But regardless, he is definitely concerned now, and he was always, I, I believe he said he mentioned it in his uh, interview for the company that they should consider downsizing, which is just, <laughs> don't do that. You're trying to get hired. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. He, he uh, apparently has always thought this was a great idea until this episode. Yeah, there's this great shot not long after where first we're looking at Dwight's desk and we see this line of bobbleheads that he's collected and they're shaking. Their heads are, are bouncing around like bobbleheads do. And then the camera pans to the left and down to Dwight's knee and his knee is bouncing because he's clearly nervous about the situation and he goes so far as to move the water cooler to his desk 
so that he can participate in office gossip and news. And a funny moment in that scene, he tells Stanley that he didn't move it. Stanley says, why Why did you do this? And he says, I didn't do it. But I'm wondering when he would have moved it without anybody noticing it otherwise. So That's a good the point. only <laughs> thing in, go, going through my head is that Dwight might be the character who's naive enough to take the water cooler and, quote, discreetly move it across the office and just assume that no one noticed. That that's the only thing that could really come to my mind is that he he just assumes that he's that good at being sneaky, uh, when in reality he probably wasn't. Either that, or he was so emphatic, so set to move this water cooler to his desk that he showed up before anybody else and made sure it was there, and you know maybe wouldn't hid back in his car until the workday started. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But regardless, he made sure that that water cooler was by his desk for maintenance, I believe it was. It got moved for maintenance, <laughs> which I don't know about you, but I don't think water coolers need that much maintenance. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then one more Dwight moment for me, uh, when Michael asks him what he knows about Meredith, because Michael's trying to come up with this Meredith joke. He wants to write something really good, really funny on her birthday card. So he calls Dwight in because they're sort of still semi-confidants with each other and he says, what do you know about Meredith? What is something that I can use for a joke? And Dwight just starts listing off these personal facts. She has been divorced twice. She has a kid. She has a hysterectomy. All these kind of things that are just things that you could read off a sheet of paper listing facts about somebody. And it's it's another sort of sad glimpse into one of these characters because he doesn't really have any sort of personal relationship with other people from the office. This is him clearly just giving these these clinical cardhold facts rather than any sort of behind the scenes or personal details or any sort of fun facts kind of thing. Anything she might enjoy doing in her spare time or, you know, what her kid's name is. <laughs> right. I mean, she he clearly doesn't know anything about Meredith aside from the the cold hard facts. One of the ones I had was this is our first party planning committee. Which, yes, it is. As we keep watching, is such a fun group of people. Um, so the party planning committee at this time, if I'm correct, is Angela, Pam, and Phyllis. And there's such a, I don't know, it's it's a little hierarchy thing going on with the party planning committee. We see Angela just take it very seriously, and she's so funny to me in these in these meetings because I think it was Phyllis who said, you know, oh, I think we should, and Angela, she's like, no, no, no. What is it? What is it? And he goes, I was going to say streamers, but everyone does streamers. You know, Phyllis is kind of self-deprecating and she talks up streamers and okay, they decide on streamers. And later they're asking about what color streamers should they be and says green. And Angela goes, well, I think green is kind of whorish. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just all this political nonsense behind their decisions for party planning. It's just so basic and so funny. Yeah, something from the commentary for this episode, they were talking about how they basically just filmed the three of them planning this mundane party for about 20 minutes uh, beyond what was actually scripted. And so there were there were things about that they were planning on whether they should say surprise or whether they should jump out from behind furniture. And there was apparently one take where Phyllis says, oh, I think we should definitely save surprise. And it was just something that had the whole casting crew laughing for like 45 <laughs> minutes. It's this absurd notion that something so so frivolous and non-important would be taken so seriously, especially by a character like Angela. I had another um, one, but it was a little bit on the more serious note. Um, this is the first time we see Roy 
he kind of gets aggressive towards Jim um, for obviously flirting with Pam when Jim grabs her hand. Uh, I think this is the first time that their flirtations are really verbally addressed. We all know that Jim and Pam have a thing, but I don't think it's ever, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's ever really talked about until now. And then Roy uh, says, what are you trying to cop a feel or something? Like it's, it's, he verbally says, you're touching my fiance, which I think is a really interesting first moment for them. Yeah, there was a scene in one of the earlier episodes we talked about where Jim is talking to Pam at the desk, but he's on the other side of the desk and sort of leaning over real close to her. And then Roy walks in and Roy doesn't say anything, but he sort of gives Jim a look and Jim stands back and straightens up and uh, they share this awkward moment as Pam walks off. And then uh, Roy walks out. But it's not antagonistic. It's just sort of this awkward tension. But here it's definitely antagonistic. And I think it's interesting getting another glimpse at Roy because he's reacting with such jealousy in a relationship where he's really not apparently putting a whole lot into this relationship, right? He's so possessive, but he's so at the same time, non-committal. They've been engaged for three years and they still haven't even set a date for this wedding. Pam is just alluding to in the spring, maybe this time. So yeah, I think that's an interesting glimpse into Roy more than anything else. And yes, yeah, seeing Jim and Pam develop just a little bit further. Well, what else did you have in terms of the uh, some character interactions for this episode? Michael continues his trend of lying in this episode. He tells Dwight that there is no downsizing. And then we immediately cut to a talking head where Michael says, yeah, there's downsizing. It's going to be coming. And it's, I don't want to say it's funny or it's sad or anything like that. I think in Michael's defense, yes, he's selfish and he doesn't want to look like the bad guy. But I also think that him sort of trying to hide the truth shows that he cares about his employees. And it's during this talking head where it's funny, he makes a Donald Trump reference, which is even funnier considering in episode one, he made a Hillary Clinton reference. So it was almost prophetic in a certain way. Uh, But he he says he gets no pleasure from saying you're fired, obviously referencing Trump's uh, The Apprentice. And after he says he gets no pleasure from it, he goes in in typical Michael fashion, imitates it three times. (laughs) But (laughs) But then he talks about not wanting to make people sad. So I I think ultimately Michael does care. He just doesn't know how to show it the proper way. And so he's doing it by lying and by deception and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's a clearly very insecure person and it's pretty heartbreaking. He thinks he's funny. We've seen this time and time again, even though we're already on episode four. He thinks he's hysterical, though anyone else rarely seems to. He has Pam in his office and they're trying to find who the next birthday is going to be. And it's Meredith. And he makes this Star Trek joke about Pam being a wet blanket because she doesn't want to celebrate somebody's birthday a a month in advance. And Michael actually says something like, uh, well, it'll be a surprise then (laughs) because it's so early. But then the selfish Michael, the clueless Michael, the ignorant Michael, whatever you want to call it, he goes into the party planning committee and he says, I think we should get an ice cream cake. Pam says, well, it's dairy and Meredith is allergic to dairy, so we can't do that. And he says, well, she's not going to be the only one eating it. And it's not just about her. <laughs> and Even though it's her birthday party. <laughs> right. It's it's the stupidest thing Michael could say in that situation because this party is being thrown for Meredith. But I guess in his eyes, the party is more of a morale boost than it is to celebrate Meredith. 
but he hasn't tried to pass it off like that in everybody else's eyes. So it just comes across as selfish. And then uh, during the party itself, he's sitting there scarfing down cake in front of Meredith. And he's, he says, if I was allergic to dairy, I think I'd kill myself. This is just so, so, so good. <laughs> and she's just staring at him. Staring daggers like, I can't even eat my own birthday cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A month before my own birthday. So she wouldn't even get a real birthday party for her birthday. Like, it's just... <laughs> right. So when, when her birthday rolls around the next month, it's probably just going to be a, a lackluster affair. Right. She's already gotten her birthday card. I mean... <laughs> and then we get a neat, small gym moment. He's got this talking head. And, you know, this whole episode, he and Pam are messing with Dwight via this fake alliance that Dwight has concocted to keep each other safe uh, from downsizing. And Pam had come up with this idea to have this, quote, discreet conversation with Jim behind Dwight's back at his desk about overhearing Michael talking to corporate about certain people in the office and stuff like that. And then it goes to this talking head and Jim says, you know, it was her idea. Man, she's so great. And he's smiling and he's so clearly in love with this girl. And then he realizes how it sounds. And he sort of looks away and wipes a smile off his face and just sits there awkwardly until the, the camera cuts somewhere else. It's hard to watch. <laughs> it is. It, it's sad because Jim's a good guy. He's probably the most likable character on the show so far, aside from Pam. And we see that he clearly cares about her, but can't do anything about it. So any other character moments for you? I uh, think I'm onto the plenty of funny moments here. I think one of my favorites is when Oscar approaches Michael about donating to Oscar's nephew's walkathon for cerebral palsy. And Michael doesn't quite understand how walkathons work, so he donates $25, thinking that he's being so generous, seeing how the people below him have donated 2 or $3. Um, he goes, wow, that's pathetic. I'm going to donate 25 And he, you know, peacocks his money there, just, oh, I'm, I'm being so generous. But what he doesn't realize is that it's 25 per mile walked, so he'll be <laughs> donating several hundred dollars. <laughs> Yeah, I think I did the math. He he asks what his nephew walked last year or the previous year, and that was 18, he said. So if you, you do the math, it's like 450 or so, which isn't a huge <laughs> sum, but I think it might even give a little bit of a glimpse into Michael's early financial problems that uh, sort of develop over the next few seasons just a little bit. Again, I know you mentioned uh, Michael's Star Trek bit with Pam in his office, but I always love when he has to explain to the camera what the bit was about, <laughs> yeah. which he seems to always do. So he did the, you know, beep, beep while he's like looking over Pam and he goes, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, he's the comedically aware, pop culture savvy boss and nobody else is as in sync with popular media as he is. So he clearly has to explain it to us. That was Star Trek, in case you didn't get that. <laughs> Michael has this moment at the very beginning where uh, Dwight says, do I need to be worried about the downsizing? And Michael shakes his head. He goes, mm, 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 maybe. <laughs> like he, He's saying <laughs> no, but then the, the, the M that he's using as a no turns into maybe. <laughs> I liked, um, well, A, Jim's line on, on Meredith's card, you're not an accountant, just fudge the numbers, which is funny. Except we later learn that Meredith is not an accountant. <laughs> well, I think they actually do frame her as an accountant in this early season. Oh, do they really? I yeah, didn't realize that. I don't remember if it was in the first or second episode, but they do call her an accountant. And it's later in season two or three, probably, where they actually change exactly what she does. I, I think she turns into, what, customer relations? 
Yeah, she's supplier relations, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I okay. See, I'm still learning. I had no idea she uh she used to be an accountant. Okay. <laughs> well, then Jim's line was funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it it definitely. I think this first season, it, beyond our main four, which are Pam, Dwight, Michael, Jim. I think beyond those four, we we still are trying to figure out who all these other characters are, including the writers. And sometimes you'll you'll still see people up until I mean, probably all the way through the first season. I don't think into the second season, but I could be wrong, where we see people we've never met, and then they disappear, you know? Yeah, like in the party scene in this episode, there are a couple people in the background that are nameless. Jim gets his very classic line in this episode, where Dwight asks, do you want to form an alliance with me? Absolutely, I do. (laughs) Absolutely, I do. It is funny. You could see in his talking head immediately afterward how excited Jim is for this opportunity to mess with Dwight. Uh, But in that moment, he sort of glances around like he's being real discreet. And he goes, yes, absolutely, I do. (laughs) It's just this most casual thing. We'll see. Yes, absolutely, I do a few more times before the... Before the series is up. <laughs> it's one of those classic lines from The Office that uh, is fun to quote, and it's it's nice to see its origins in this episode. I think one of my very favorite moments for the whole episode is um, when Jim convinces Dwight to get into a box in the warehouse, <laughs> and he sends Pam down there and fakes a phone call about, oh, I think people are forming an alliance, and I don't know what to do. There's going to be downsizing. And after she leaves, I believe Dwight crashes out of the box. I I like to think he's being born out of the box. He like hands first, just rips the box apart. <laughs> right. Just... They actually make a reference like that in the the commentary where it yeah. looks like Dwight is being born from this box. And then my favorite part is Daryl behind Dwight just <laughs> yeah, watching. <that's> <laughs> he he's completely stone faced, just watches Dwight erupt out of this box. Daryl's completely unsurprised. They make eye contact and Dwight walks away. <laughs> like it was a totally normal thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't even met Daryl at this point. I think you know, we, we've seen him just a couple of times. I don't think we even know his name. That's true. No, we haven't. Yeah. So it's it's a funny early glimpse into this character uh, standing in the background and just watching Dwight <laughs> do something that D- Dwight thinks is just super casual. Uh, look what I've done. I, I am this super spy and I'm obviously very discreet. Uh, and behind him, Daryl's just staring on like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite box moments is actually when Pam is down there and she's having this fake phone conversation and Dwight is trying to make the hole that he's poked in the box a little bit bigger. And in doing so, he topples the box over and Pam was already trying to keep a straight face on her fake phone call. And when the box falls over behind her, she just runs off because she can no longer hold it together. <laughs> <laughs> She gets out of there before she laughs and gives it away. And there's more fun alliance stuff as well. When Jim and Dwight meet in the parking lot, uh, Jim is making up the story about how everybody is making an alliance against the two of them. And it's intercut with these scenes of him talking to Kevin and Toby in the break room about sandwiches. And you get this great line that they talk about in the commentary as well, where Jim just says, they have great bread. (laughs) He just (laughs) emphasizes the quality of the bread. Or is it... uh their bread is very good. Oh, that, that's that's right. You, that you it? got it. Yeah. Their bread is very good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Their bread's good. Their bread is very good. <laughs> but while they're in the parking lot, Dwight, it's funny how upset he gets. Like, oh, no, everybody's conspiring against us. He almost gets to the point of tears and goes, why us? <laughs> because we're strong, Dwight. Because we're strong. <laughs> and then you get the very, very end of the episode when right before 
Roy storms in. Jim has is telling Pam about how he's convinced Dwight to go spy on the Stamford branch of Dunder Mifflin and in doing so have to dye his hair blonde <laughs> so that he can be, quote, in disguise. And then Roy storms in and Dwight denies knowing anything about this alliance that they've got going on. And then we go to this talking head with Dwight. Well, actually, we get a voiceover from Dwight first talking about how do I regret betraying Jim? No, I don't. This was sort of the plan all along, blah, blah, blah. And then we cut to the talking head and we see that Dwight's hair is platinum blonde. Like Jim got him anyways. <laughs> and that always surprises me. I know it's coming. And then when I see him blonde, it just takes me back. <laughs> it's a horrible. He's not a blonde. <laughs> One more character funny moment that I have is Ryan. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of him in these first few episodes, but we get this brief cutaway during the party where he's talking with Toby and Toby says, oh, today, happy birthday. I I could speak up and say something. And Ryan interrupts him and says, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> he, he, he does not want to be the center of Michael's attention. <laughs> Definitely not. Now, what about deleted scenes and commentary beyond what we've sort of already mentioned? Well, commentary. Um, thankfully, we did have one for this episode. I think one of my favorite moments from the commentary was we learned that Jenna Fisher, who plays Pam, had never heard of Greg Daniels, who was the producer for the show and a writer. I mean, he, he was a lot of... Well, he's a showrunner for the first five seasons, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So in her audition, Greg Daniels handed over a, a scene that he wrote for Jenna and for John Krasinski. And she read it over and she goes, you know, wow, this is, uh, this is actually a really good scene, Greg. You should, you should keep doing this. You should keep writing. Don't give up. <laughs> you should make a career out of this. <laughs> you, you really could. And not knowing that he was actually already a very successful writer. <laughs> right. Kinda the guy who out. was running the show that she was about to star in. Well, apparently Greg Daniels was not known by more people. We also learned it's actually gotten to be a pretty well-known story about John Krasinski's audition. He was the last one in his group to go, the last one for Jim that day, I guess. And um, they decided to take a lunch break right before his audition. And he was already like, oh, why are they doing this? You know, just spend 10 minutes with me and then you can have lunch. So someone comes out into the break room or into the, the, the waiting room, rather, and sits down next to John with a salad and says, oh, so are you nervous about the show? And John says, you know, I'm I'm not so nervous about the audition. I'm I'm more nervous about the show itself, because the UK version was just so funny. And these, these redos just typically bomb. And I, you know, I just love the UK one so much. I don't want to dishonor it with this one. And he did not know that he was also speaking to Greg Daniels. <laughs> and then he had to go in and audition for Greg Daniels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't know what Greg Daniels looks like. So I, I don't I, either. I would be in a very similar situation <laughs> if I was auditioning for the guy. He's a behind-the-tables kind of guy, but man, <laughs> wouldn't want to do that in an audition. <laughs> Luckily, he got the part anyway. A couple of the commentary moments that uh, I really took away from there was uh, the fact that they almost made this two episodes, one that focused on the birthday party aspect and one that focused on the alliance aspect. And the reason they ultimately didn't, or at least one of the reasons, was because there were scenes that they, they couldn't separate because there were characters in the background wearing party hats or something like that. And then the other one that I wrote down was that they had almost 20 minutes of Steve Carell sitting in his office as Michael Scott coming up with bad Meredith jokes. <laughs> I would love to hear all of them. <laughs> I say I would love to hear some of them or all of them or whatever, <laughs> but I, I think I would just sit there like face palming the entire time, yeah. to be honest. I, I think I had um, 
I think two more bits from the commentary. We learned that the birthday cake, the mint chocolate chip ice cream cake that they used for Meredith's surprise party was a real mint chocolate chip ice cream cake, which Michael has to just shovel down. I mean, he eats so much cake. I, I, I think in that one scene, he eats an entire slice of cake. And you don't catch these things generally on one take. I mean, you have to shoot these several times. And so apparently he ended up eating almost an entire ice cream cake. And he was just so sick by the end of it. He hated it. <laughs> they said he was eating an entire slice every time they filmed the scene. Which every was just time. Crazy. Oh. And I can't imagine them getting it in less than, you know, six or eight takes. So, oh, he's, yeah, he, he must have eaten a whole cake that day. <laughs> And then another one that was interesting was um, there's actually a couple of times, I believe, in this series that we reference Survivor. And this episode um, isn't a super obvious one, but it is in that it's all about alliances and, and immunity, and um, which is all terminology that they use on the TV show Survivor, uh, which the cameraman, the main cameraman, I guess, for the office at this time was Randall Einhorn, who was a cameraman for Survivor. So it all kind of came full circle for him and the filming style of fairly similar as well, since it was a documentary style show. So kind of full circle for Randall. It's kind of neat. Yeah, especially, I mean, we, we talked about Randall Einhorn, I think specifically in episode one, but to to make it go full circle and make this sort of be a almost meta episode in the fact that he's filming a giant survivor reference episode while having previously been a camera person for survivor. It, it is really funny that it, it, comes full circle in that way. Now, what about the deleted scenes? Were there any deleted scenes, things that you took away? One of the deleted scenes that really made me laugh was Dwight bragging about the security software. I'm assuming this was sort of a cold open that they ended up not using, uh, but they brag about security software on his computer and Jim guesses his password. He says, is your password Frodo? And Dwight says, no. And then he sort of discreetly backspaces and changes it. And then it cuts back to Jim and he says, did you just change it to Gollum? And he says, no. no. And then you hear him <laughs> slamming that, that backspace button again. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim just smiles. <laughs> right. Good moment. And then there's another moment between Jim and Dwight where we first get this shot of Dwight throwing stuff out of the refrigerator and drinking milk shit out of the carton because he's Dwight and that's what he does. Uh, and then he goes back to his desk and Jim goes looking for his sandwich around lunchtime and he comes back to Dwight and says, would you know anything about why my sandwich is missing? And Dwight comes up with with some excuse or whatever. And the whole time Jim is confronting him, he's playing, Dwight is playing with the bobbleheads that are on his desk and he's tapping each of them in line. And Jim says, do you have to do what you're doing? And Dwight comes back with his genius response. If they don't bobble, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Which probably is pretty unusual to keep a bobblehead on a desk. I mean, he's right. Like, <laughs> they should be somewhere where they'll bobble. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think it's interesting that they're all baseball players because looking forward, I can't remember Dwight have any sort of affinity for sports of any kind. I don't think so. So I, I, it'll be interesting looking into season two specifically when they sort of get more into a groove. Uh, whether those specific bobbleheads stay. Because obviously, Dwight has an affinity for bobbleheads in general, as we see uh, throughout the show. But not necessarily baseball. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. So now that we've talked about all of the aspects of the show, it's time for our discussion question. And I thought it would be fun to consider what we would write 
on Meredith's birthday card. You know, this whole episode, Michael is struggling to come up with something good, and he does not at all. He just ruins the party with these awful, awful jokes, if you can call them that, at Meredith's expense. And so what, if you had the opportunity, what would you write on Meredith's birthday card? Any ideas? You know, I struggled with this one, but I remember reading a birthday card to someone else and someone wrote, which would be appropriate for the office, but still funny. I wish Michael had said, I just wanted to let you know that from now on, all compliments will be given to you followed by for your age. Happy birthday. So like, <laughs> hey, you look good for your age. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like Something like that. Like, th that was a funny but still appropriate comment on a card. I thought that was a nice one. <laughs> right. Not wholly at Meredith's expense. Right. Just general, you know, everyone's getting older. Haha. -ha. What about you? What would you put? In all honesty, I would probably come up with more of a Pam response where I would just wish well and say happy birthday and sign my name. But if I was trying to come up with something a little funnier, I think I would probably reference the fact that we're having a party for her a month early. Yeah, and exactly. And maybe make a joke to the effect of, I know this party was unexpected, but don't worry, I've started to forget my age over the years as well, or something to that effect. Is That's, I think, along my line of humor. Or like, you can't say this wasn't a surprise party. <laughs> right, right. I, that's what I would draw attention to, is referencing the fact that this party just sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, a month in advance. So yeah, good call. I didn't think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that ends our discussion and the second episode of An American Workplace. As always, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplace pod or on Twitter at workplace pod. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes if you're enjoying the show so far, and share it on social media. And if you have any feedback or ideas, uh, it would help us out if you just contact us directly at workplacepod at gmail.com. Katie, where can people find you online? You can contact me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place for me is on Twitter at chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And you can also find my other show, Cinescope, at thecinescopepodcast.com and wherever podcasts can be found. All the show notes and all of our contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on Episode 2 of An American Workplace. Be sure to join us in Episode 3 for our discussion on the last two episodes of Season 1, Basketball and Hot Girl.